Hello class, this is a quick podcast I want to record for my Psychology 201 General Psychology Monday Wednesday course that meets at 2.30 p.m. I was unable to go through the entire review sheet in your course this week, so I wanted to give you a few hints in terms of things you would like to study for your exam. Now, This is not going to be everything that's on the exam, but I am going to go over the things that are on your review sheet. The review sheet can be found on Blackboard under Review Sheets. You may also find a link to the quizzes from Blackboard that were done in MindTap for chapters one through three. It would not hurt to study these questions as they may show up on the test. If you look at your review sheet, I'm going to start with the first item. It says, number one, psychology. For that, you wanna make sure you know what psychology is and the definition of it. For number two, it says false things a lot of people believe about psychology. For this, you will find a table in your book. You will also find that we did a true or false quiz on this in class using the quizzing software that was just as an activity. For example, a couple of the things were opposites attract and you only use a small percentage of your brain. Number three is correlations. Correlations are basically just telling you the relationship between two variables. It in no way implies causation. You can learn the directionality, which is given by the positive or negative sign in front of it. And you may also learn the strength according to the number. The closer the number is to one or negative one, the stronger it is. The closer it is to zero, the weaker it is. For example, you will want to ignore the sign and just go with a larger number, much like you would an absolute value in math. Number four is Wilhelm Wundt. He was a German researcher who was the initiator of the first psychology lab. Number five is behaviorism. Behaviorism was started by B.F. Skinner. And he decided that while the brain and its processes were interesting, it wasn't really something that we could see or measure. But behavior was something we can see, we can measure, and we can quantify. Therefore, we can do experiments on it. So he decided to just ignore everything inside the brain or the black box at the time and just go with behavior. It was quantifiable. Now, number six, cognitive psychology. In the 1970s, as imaging techniques became better, we decided that we were more interested in the brain. I am a cognitive psychologist, and I did research in attention, problem-solving, intelligence, as well as learning and memory. Psychodynamic theory, which is number seven, was something started by Sigmund Freud and is part of his psychoanalytic treatment. Number eight, Gilbert Jones. He was the first person that was African-American to receive a doctorate. Now, keep in mind, many minorities as well as women completed the degrees 
four doctorate, but were not awarded them. So they did the work without receiving the reward. Gilbert Jones was the first person that was awarded a doctorate. Number nine is hypothesis. It's one of the first things you do in the scientific method, and it's basically a testable question about how two things are related. Number 10, case study. We looked at a lot of case studies, things like HM and how that affected the hippocampus. You can also look back in your textbook about people like Clive Waring or anyone else who has had brain damage. Case studies have limitations as they are not experimental methods, as well as their generalizability to the public. It could be that individual person is different from others. So it's a non-experimental method. Number 11, positive and negative correlations. We've touched on this a little bit in number three. A positive correlation just means that it goes in the same direction. So as one variable goes up, the other goes up, such as height and weight. The opposite is also true. So as one goes down, the other goes down. That is also a positive correlation. A negative correlation is only when two variables go in opposite directions. So as one goes up, the other goes down. So it doesn't have to do with the number, it just has to do with the directionality. Number 12, experiments. Experiments have several parts. This is where you wanna control for everything, manipulate your independent variable, and then use your dependent variable, which is your outcome variable and usually the score of something, to decide if your two groups are different. You have an experimental group as well as a control group. The experimental group receives the treatment. The control group you keep as normal as possible. And in the end, if you do it correctly, you can say that one thing causes the other. Ethics are also important in experiments, which we touched on in class this week. In terms of remembering the definitions, make sure you understand what each part of the experiment is and that it's the only time you can imply causation. Okay, for number 13, for neuronal connections, you need to basically know how neurons connect to other neurons and that they, of course, don't touch. Number 14 is glial cells. There's multiple types, but they basically provide structural support for the neurons. They do have a cell body. They also produce myelin and do the cleanup methods for that. That would be the astrocytes. Glial cells provide the myelin, which is, of course, the fatty tissue that speeds up transmission. Number 15 is the action potential. That's basically sending information from one cell to another or one cell firing and moving on to the next one, which doesn't causes it to release neurotransmitter. So it's basically electrical and chemical. Number 16 is the threshold of excitation, which is negative 55 millivolts and the resting threshold, which is negative 70 millivolts. Number 17 is excitation of the action potential, which means it becomes more positive or depolarized, um, basically less polar, so less negative. Number 18 is inhibition. Basically, the majority of action potentials are inhibitory, 
and the resting potential of the membrane is also inhibitory. It sets at negative 70 millivolts. Number 19 is reuptake, which is basically recycling that happens at the axon level of the neuron. Number 20 is know how many in the main neurotransmitters, which are basically dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine, acetylcholine, and serotonin. Um, there's a few hundred neurotransmitters. Number 21, the axon, dendrite, cell body, and synaptic cleft. Be able to know what those do and where they're at. Number 22 are vesicles. Vesicles are basically bubbles inside the axon bulb that contain neurotransmitter. Number 23 is myelin, which again is produced by glial cells and speeds up transmission. Number 24 is Parkinson's disease. The neurotransmitter that goes along with Parkinson's disease is dopamine. Um, usually you just give L-DOPA to help with that, but the problem being if it becomes imbalanced, you can get um, symptoms of schizophrenia. Number 25 is Alzheimer's disease. It's a memory impairment, of course. It's pretty severe. It's all over the brain, and the neurotransmitter that's related to that is acetylcholine. It's really important in memory. Number 26, how sedatives relate to GABA. GABA is your main inhibitory neurotransmitter, and you get changes in it with sedatives, things like Valium and Phenobarbital, which are number 27. Those, of course, again are sedatives. Valium's kind of a smaller sedative, which is a benzodiazepine, and phenobarbital or penzobarbital is a barbiturate, which is more likely used for surgery, and in some migraine medicines in small doses. Number 28 is glutamate. It's going to be your main excitatory neurotransmitter for the brain, and there's going to be the most of that. It, of course, is positive. The central nervous system is the brain and the spinal cord. The autonomic nervous system is the rest of it. That's part of your peripheral nervous system. The autonomic nervous system sounds kind of like automatic, and it is, except for your reflexes. Reflexes are absolutely automatic and just at the level of the spinal cord. The autonomic nervous system has two levels, which are the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. The parasympathetic is going to be your resting system. Your sympathetic is going to be your excitatory system. Number 33 is the reticular formation has to do with sleep and wakefulness, um, mainly sleep. It's in your brainstem. And number 34 is the medulla, which is close to the amygdala, which has to do with emotion. It has to do with emotional memory. And then number 35, the hippocampus and patient HM which basically he had epilepsy, had his hippocampus removed to stop the seizures. And while the seizures did stop, he had a severe form of memory impairment, which of course was um, anterograde amnesia, which is forward amnesia, basically the inability to make new memories. Moving on to chapter three, there's only a few more things left on the exam. Number 36 is the visual cortex. It's located absolutely adjacent to your eyes in the very back of your head. It has over 36 areas distinctly related to vision and very specific visual functions such as face recognition, angle recognition, and color as well as black and white sort of vision. 
The visual cortex is part of your occipital lobe, which is in the back of your brain. Number 38 is sensation. Sensation is the energy that hits your senses from outside in the world. Everyone experiences the same sort of sensation. Now, the difference is our perception of that. Our perception is informed upon our memories, our experiences, and everything we know about a stimulus. It's also informed by our individual senses, which differ a little from person to person. Now, in between sensation and perception, you have transduction. Transduction is basically turning that sensation or that energy from the environment into a neural code, that one or zero in your visual system or your auditory system that tells you what something is and allows you to perceive it and make a judgment about it. That, of course, allows you to interpret things, which is number 39. When we perceive things, we generally make an interpretation of them. What are they? What is this object? What is the figure? What is the ground? What am I seeing? Number 40, Weber's Law. Weber's Law has to do with the just noticeable difference. The just noticeable difference is how different do things have to be before we fully realize that they're actually different. I gave the example in class that if you had a one pound weight and a two pound weight and you picked both up, it would be pretty easy to tell that they are different. Whereas if you had a hundred pound weight and a hundred and one pound weight, which differ in the same amount, it would be much harder. So as the amount of the stimulus increases, you don't just need to have the same amount. What you need to have is the same increase in proportion. So from one pound to two pounds is increasing by 50% or 100%, and you want to do the same thing at the higher level. You might want to read the definition for Weber's Law from the book and make sure you understand how that relates. Brightness is going to be related to light. It's going to be measured in terms of amplitude of the wave. How frequent are the waves? How tall are the waves? The taller and more frequent they are, the brighter that is and the amplitude is. Amplitude can also be related to hearing. The higher the amplitude, the higher the volume. And the last thing on the review sheet is the lens. The lens is connected to the sclera muscles, which allow your lens to basically flatten or soften or stretch depending on where you're focusing. What it aims to do is focus light on the back of your eye, on the back of your retina in your fovea. That is what you want to happen on a regular basis where you can see things clearly. Now, my last advice would be to make sure you understand all of the definitions of the things I've mentioned, how they're related to the other things I've mentioned, and read through the chapters as well as looking through the quizzes that are available online and taking the practice test where you're fully prepared for your exam next week. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact me via email at adimming at tctc.edu or through the Remind app during my office hours. I hope everyone has a great weekend and I will see you next week.